0: You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Sarah. And we are here today with a special episode for our first birthday. Yay! So, Excited about that. Thank you guys for tuning in for a year, whether you've been here for a week or for a year. I'm honestly surprised anyone wants to listen to me blabber on and talk about true crime. So, hey, I'll take it. But for our first birthday, we wanted to do a little bit of a recap of the cases that we have looked at so far in the first six months of the podcast. So we were able to find some updates. Some of these came from emails that were sent after airing episodes, uh, from comments and feedback that we got, and also from some reviews that we received, um, just pointing out some things that we had missed. So we're definitely glad to take any of the information that you guys give to us. Um, The more accurate information that we can get out about these cases, the more hopefully likely it is that some of them will see a resolution. So keep reaching out with the information that we might miss or that you might know about any of the cases that we cover. So as we take a look back and go the whole way back to March of 2021, we started out the podcast with the case of Cindy Song. She was the uh, senior at Penn State who went missing after the Halloween party. We couldn't really find any updates for this one. The only thing I saw was just a couple of comments on a recent web thread, just like a thread of comments. And it wasn't even like under a true crime Reddit or web sleuths or anything. It was just like a random blog page. And there were some fingers pointing at law enforcement and somehow connecting her case to the case of Ray Grecar, but it didn't really clarify how. Um, it was just someone's theory that the two were connected. Mm-hmm.
1: Was there a history of her having any sort of like political internship
0: or anything like that? Like, Not that I know of, but I can't imagine based on what her degree was in, because she was doing, it was almost like engineering design sort of stuff. Um,
1: And how would she even have time?
0: (laughs) Well, right. So I honestly i don't know but i don't think so because um, he was from center county right i believe so okay because i think that was the connection was just that they were close together okay um and most of the comments that i found were just continuing on the theory that we talked about a year ago that it was Agreeing Uh with the theories that we had had posted before. I was really excited because I found a newer podcast and this podcast just started. There's, I think, 40 episodes of it, maybe. So it started shortly after ours did. But there was an episode from February of this year, very, very recent, that was covering the case of Terry Bowers, which was our second episode and when i went to go listen to the podcast that episode has been removed oh, what? that's weird which kind of makes me even more curious like yeah. i really want to know what was on it the host of that podcast has forensic experience so he was approaching his cases with that forensic background he he's just considered a forensic expert so i'm not exactly sure You know, if he was a pathologist or just someone that studied it a lot or a journalist. But every time I have tried to pull up a copy of it, I've gone to a bunch of websites and app, uh, different podcast apps, and it goes straight from like it skips the week that this episode aired.
1: I wonder if he shared something he wasn't supposed to know.
0: (laughs) And you know what? I didn't even think to look up like socials for that podcast. Maybe there was um an announcement that he made but you'd think it would be off the website or the announcement would be on the website too so right i don't know i was i was pumped to hear <laughs> you know like a a forensic expert's take on that case yeah um but alas bummer there was no expert opinions well there were other expert opinions but no new ones so then we came to and i want to make sure that i am saying this correctly I believe the correct pronunciation is Anna Machiewska, which is very close to what we did say, but um, we did get some specific feedback on a review stating that we had missed a lot of information and were mispronouncing items, um, different names and locations. So, you know, we do apologize for that. We do our best with pronouncing things. And I know you guys hear me say a lot with my linguistics background. My linguistic degree is a degree of English. So when it comes to the other languages, I am not always the queen of pronunciation, but we were kind of told in that review you know, you messed this up. And in an attempt to make it right, I did reach out to the Facebook page that has been established for her and that her friends run. And there was some really good information on the Facebook page itself, but I was also able to connect with one of the people that runs the page and they didn't identify themselves and I wouldn't out their name on the podcast anyway. But, um, Whenever I shared it with them, they said, "You know, we didn't even realize that this episode had launched. You know, we apologize if you told us before, we may have just missed it, but they were um very happy to hear what we had reported um and they did fill in a couple of blanks, but Chelsea, since it was your case, I didn't know if you wanted to throw anything on. It was a very long time ago, and I personally haven't looked at the case in
2: a while, but this was one of the cases that I know when we first like introduce ourselves this was one of the cases that had me kind of interested and really into it because I worked in the area where she went missing she disappeared she's from Poland and there's like a ton of speculation that the husband did it he kind of like I guess didn't bat his eye when she went missing there was a lot of things that weren't adding up she has she had a son she has a son He stole. Alive, but he was little and she did everything for him and she's just a local missing mom with like no information the husband I believe is named Alan and he just is not helpful at all and it's just a really really sad case because it's been it's been a while I can't remember the exact date but it has to be over seven years old you know how old it is
0: we're coming up on five years coming up on five okay so I was wrong sorry about yeah, that yeah it It was April of 2017, which is probably where that seven came from in your brain.
2: Yeah. So that is, I did reach out to that Facebook group as well. And I know, I think when I reached out to them, they, I mean, it's friends, they have their own life, you know, that they're going through and we did try to, yeah. yeah, we did try to connect and I did let them know that we put it out because I hadn't heard anything
0: from them in a while. And I know we were trying to get stuff
2: set up and going.
0: So I know when we recorded the episode, one thing that we were asking about was what Alan did for work. Um, And he was also an actuary. So he was in the same field as Anna. And I don't remember if we had discussed that and just couldn't remember... Further details, they did have the townhouse because of um, using it kind of for extra storage and also because they had just recently purchased the house that they had built and they had just recently finished building it. So they were still kind of in the process of moving in. The page said that their new home was built at the end of 2014 and they moved into it slowly throughout 2015. They did have their son's birthday party in 2015, and a lot of people from work and with their kids were invited. And um, she said the townhome was not vacant for a long time. So that was just some more information about the um, townhome. I know we had asked a lot about, like, why did she keep the townhome if they had their own house? And it was really just because they were still kind of transitioning very slowly from one to the other. Which I totally get because if I could put off moving things, especially like the random boxes that accumulate in certain rooms, if I owned two places and could avoid moving them, I absolutely would not move things. (laughs) I would 100% let them sit until I actually sold the other place because...
1: Moving is the actual
0: worst. Oh, yeah, Truly. Not for me. So many stairs. (laughs) my husband has also told me when we move again we're hiring movers just for my books oh (laughs) we'll move everything else but we specifically need to pay people to move my books because i have too many and they're too heavy we say that every time and then then we don't and it's a pain because it's expensive and we're cheap and we want to save money i hear that so Um, this friend did also tell me just a little bit about Anna herself. She really loved her job. She loved hiking and being outside. Skiing was one of her favorite things to do. Um, and I believe that's actually how she met her husband, Alan, was through a ski trip. You're nodding and pointing at me. Okay, I'm going with yes. (laughs) Um, she loved dining out and uh this friend said and her spa stuff facials manicures pedicures girl yes um yeah right like pamper yourself um so you know they they did add you know we can't share anything specific on the case because a lot of the things that they might know are just information that's kind of privy to the family and very close friends and it's not public information which i totally respect um but you know just very glad to to have her name in a podcast again and to just have another chance to hopefully get some information and then this year on April 11th it'll be 5 years that she's been missing and they did confirm that in their minds she's pretty much considered dead legally it's not a homicide investigation um it's still a missing persons investigation but they've all pretty much come to terms with the fact that they believe her to be dead
1: and i do have to say that like personally i appreciate that they shared some stuff about her as a person even if it's not yes. about the case that can be sometimes Mm -hmm. the hardest thing to find about the victims. And that's, yes, I feel like that's a huge important part of what we're doing. So the more we can get about this, the person's life. Yeah. I just really appreciate hearing things like that.
0: Yeah, I definitely, um, I love getting that information. And that was, that was from Chelsea asking, I just read the answer. So. (laughs) Um, we were kind of collaborating uh, with the three of us messaging back and forth. And then I was kind of taking the questions over to Anna's Facebook group. So, um, we will link that again in the blog post notes for, this episode as well that you can go check out that Facebook page, like it, keep up with updates and review some of the things that they post on there because sometimes it's random little one-off items that you wouldn't think to look for, but that exist and are related to the case. Um, one thing I found was actually the deed for the townhome and it showed that she owned it and there was no existing record of her adding him as an owner. Um Now, if she were pronounced dead, which I'm not sure if that's the route they want to take in two more years. Cause I think you have to be missing for seven years. For the legal pronouncement unless that changes i don't know if they're going to go that direction but it would not move to next of kin until she is legally declared dead so at this point she is the only owner of that townhome Um, it is only her name on it based on the paperwork that was shown and that we have proof of existing so unless there's other paperwork out there that is hiding that shows that she had added him as an owner. Um, It was fully hers and he was not on it at all. But then how does that work? Like, obviously
2: she's missing, she's not paying on it. How does that house stay in her name? Like, doesn't the bank like
0: put that house up or? I don't know. I got the impression that the house was paid for. But then what about um, taxes? It was not,
1: that I don't know. That's true. Property Um, tax, although her family could just be paying the property tax as long as someone's paying it i'm assuming they you know oh yeah the government if the government care gets their it. money i don't think they <laughs> care this who they're true. getting it from so yeah. if it was paid off and they just have to pay taxes it could just be her family potentially
0: or it i mean it could just be piling up as like back taxes i don't know how that works hmm. i i really don't it might um, be some
1: sort of special circumstance too that you can right. say the person's missing and i i have no idea
0: yeah i'm not positive um but as far as i knew unless the bank now owns it um or you know somebody was able to buy it from I guess it couldn't even really be in a state because she's missing. So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that process works legally. That's a good question. Um, but that was, that was what I was able to kind of clarify for Anna. I don't think we necessarily missed any of that the first time, but just a couple clarifications and a confirmed pronunciation from the Facebook group. <laughs> so um, that was really bothering me because... I don't know. The name A-N-N-A, depending on the native language, can be Anna or Anna. And it made me feel good to hear the friends say, yeah, it's Anna. Because in my head, I just kept flipping back and forth and I couldn't keep it consistent. So. um that was kind of nice, too. So then case number four, Grace, was your first case with Gary Redner. Um, not too much to update here, but do you want to give us a quick little overview of what his was?
1: Yeah, just to remind you guys, Gary Redner was um, an executive for the Redner's grocery store chain Um, that apparently Sarah knows what that is now now that she's been looking into updates for us so congratulations (laughs) okay
0: so after we had that episode remember on the episode i was like i don't know what a red nurse story is is this something i should know and you guys were like yeah there's like 60 of them and i was like cool great i don't think
1: there's that many i see them
0: i don't know (laughs) i see them everywhere now that's what
1: happens (laughs) but yeah so he was murdered in front of
0: his home um Oh, my goodness. What year was that? Like in his neighbor's driveway, wasn't it?
1: So, yeah, he was um, found dead in his neighbor's driveway in the early morning hours of March 9th, 2008. And I should have remembered that because that's the year I graduated high school. And...
0: I still remember. We've had like 55 episodes, so it's okay (laughs) that you forget a year.
1: I still remember, like, because I shopped at Redner's with my parents uh, when I was a kid, and I always remember those, well, not as a kid, as a young adult, I guess, (laughs) since it didn't happen until 2008, but I always remember those posters up, like, do you know who killed Gary Redner? Um, But he was... um, really well liked within the company. Um, You know, his employees really liked him and it was really rough for them. I guess all of them when he was murdered and you know, there's some theories out there, but as far as I know or anyone really knows, because the police have kept a lot of details out of the public, um, out of public information. But I mean, No one has any idea what happened.
0: Yeah, and I I really couldn't find any updates when I was researching. The only thing I found was that on June 22nd, 2021, the Pennsylvania State Police and Pennsylvania Crime Stoppers offered a $5,000 reward for information. But wasn't there already like a pretty big reward for information.
1: $125,000 for information leading to an
0: arrest. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yep. That's significant. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that was just an additional 5,000. Um, I imagine I can't get the link to reopen. It keeps freezing my computer screen every time I try to open it. So I am not sure, but, um, it, When I read it, it just said there was a $5,000 reward. So not totally sure. And then just people on Reddit were adding theories as of a couple weeks ago, just saying, you know, it had to be road rage or like a hit that was ordered. But there were a lot of arguments against the idea of a hit, which I think we talked about just that, like, if it's a hit, it was a really poorly executed hit.
1: Yeah, I just have a really hard time believing
0: that. With with the way that the trauma was induced and the fact that it was, like, out in the open, like, in front of people's houses, it just didn't.
1: And I feel like hits are normally, quote-unquote, cleaner. Right, and I mean, True. because you just want that person gone. Normally, you don't put a hit out on someone and, like, to have them tortured first,
0: it's yeah. just
1: not something.
0: I mean, typically, I don't put hits out on people, so I don't know, but maybe you've got some different experiences. It's been a while, (laughs) oh, okay. Well, um, after the Gary Redner episode, we then talked a little bit about Beth doe and baby doe who right before we released the episode, um, had actually been identified as Evelyn Cologne. And I think we did mention that in the episode that she had been identified, but we didn't really have all of the information. Um, a lot more information has come out. She was identified as Evelyn Cologne. She was 15 years old from Jersey City, New Jersey.
1: I don't think Louise... when we did the update, we knew that she was 15 because I'm maybe mm. I just can't remember. But looking at that, I'm like, holy cow, 15. And just so you guys remember who she was, this was the um, unidentified Jane Doe and her baby that were found in pieces, in suitcases uh, in Carbon County, kind of underneath um, an overpass. Yeah. Highway. Um, And it was very, that was a really tough case to get through, but it was pretty wild because we weren't going to release it i think for like a couple more weeks and then that update came out that they were identified so we were like let's get this out here yeah but sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you
0: (laughs) no no no, you're fine i'm looking back at our notes from before and i don't think we had the age before i think you're right um but yeah she was 15 from jersey city new jersey Luis Sierra from New York was charged with her death. He was her boyfriend at the time. He was 19. And as was suspected, um, he was the father of baby Doe that was with her. Um, and she was posthumously named Emily Grace Cologne. And I think you mentioned that in the episode before, but I don't know. There's something about a baby doe having a name, even though she never had a life that just breaks my heart. And it's, it's sweet, but it's heartbreaking. Um, Now they were able to be identified because of forensic genealogy that came up through a DNA hit between Evelyn and her nephew, Luis Colon. So um, his DNA I forget if it was like an ancestry DNA kit or something, but I think it was just family offering DNA for genealogical evaluation um, because they knew that there was an aunt that had gone missing around the same time. Um, So I think they chose to test it and it ended up working. Um, Unfortunately, the news was that she had died, but Fortunately, she was able to be named and returned to her family.
1: I think that this whole genealogy thing is going to end up solving a lot of cases. I mean, we've already seen it's like taking over
0: and it's awesome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, every couple of weeks we're getting tagged in stuff or people are texting me links or sending me TikToks of, you know, different cases that are being solved and a handful of them in PA through the forensic genealogy and it is awesome there was just one last week i think that was a uh, lehigh valley woman maybe i'm not sure or I didn't maybe hear two weeks ago maybe i'm just mixing it up with another one but there was one recently that we had posted on the um facebook page
1: oh oh okay um.
0: as well I think. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of them that are are being solved, which is really good. Hopefully the next time we do an update, we'll have even more that we can add to this list. It's just devastating,
1: though. Her being 15 and he was 19. And I'm pretty sure it's like teen dating violence month or something like that. I know that's like so specific, but... That just happens to be this month, I think. I think I heard it on Crime Junkie, their latest episode. But, like, that's terrifying. How do you do that to someone?
0: Do you remember how far pregnant she was? She was, like, all but full term, right? Yeah, she was nine months.
1: It was a full term. Yeah.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) The whole
1: thing. That was really hard to get through.
0: After that... Um, the next episode was the case of Dale Wolf and Lynn Stansfield. As a reminder, that was the case that had the um, fire department show up to a house fire. And as they were putting out the fire, they discovered two bodies that had both been murdered before the fire had started. This took place in Perry County, up in my neck of the woods. And... Um, This was the case where Lynn and Dale were dating, and they had both had long-term relationships previously. They were adults, and there was speculation that uh, one of her family members may have been involved. Um, Just a lot of interesting, almost conspiracy-feeling theories that kind of came out of it, but um, looking at up again looking for new information checking newspapers um nothing new to report on their case and unfortunately i'm afraid that that one might be one that we just don't see anything new come from because of how old it is and how much was destroyed by the fire so after dale and lynn we moved on to the case of anna rocknick Anna Rocknick was another one that like made me sick when we had this episode. Um she was the older woman that was beaten severely that um whoever broke in had smashed her head against the stairs and she was still conscious when um EMTs arrived at the scene but she died later in the hospital. So she was able to tell them that it was the devil And whoever it was kept asking for money. And she kept saying, I don't have money. And they just kept asking her where the money was at. Um, I did see an update here that they do have... Um, three suspects and they have their DNA. Um, They're just still waiting on that last crucial piece of evidence. And that might be a piece of evidence to compare to DNA, or it might just be being able to place a specific person near that location at that time. Um, Now they did increase the reward. There is still a $5,000 reward, But for about a week in December, they increased the reward to $10,000 right over the anniversary of her death. Um, But at this time, there was nothing new to report, so I'm not sure that the additional reward incited any tips. From there, we went to um, case episode number eight with Lauren Jackson. Um, And Chelsea, that was your case. If you remember that and want to talk about that at all um feel free i i remember she was was she the young daughter she was she was that went missing from the apartment complex yeah okay
2: um yeah she was playing in the dirt in front of her home uh it was in spring city and her mother was inside and lauren was playing with a little boy but then they went off to go to i guess like the quote-unquote mall, which we wouldn't think of as a mall anymore. It's like a strip of uh, stores. When she went out to check on her, she wasn't there. There was um, evidence that they found that footsteps walking towards a motel in Spring City, and they could tell that it was hers because remember she had some disabilities and her walking was not normal because she had a club foot. So and okay. they could tell that there was another footprint and it looked like they were, I guess, holding hands. And it's believed that there's a couple different things. But either way, she got into a car with someone because the footsteps like disappear after the motel. Oh.
0: Um, I did find information from a psychic and I this sounded kind of familiar, so I couldn't remember if you had said it. In the episode, Um, I couldn't find it in the notes, but I may have just missed it. Do you remember the psychic with the orange car in the barn? With the barn, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember the barn. Yeah,
2: and on Reddit, there's a guy who's local to here who apparently worked on that case, and he was, um, I want to say a foot tracker, but he he tracks tracks, I guess. And um, they looked all over that area and on Reddit they have pictures of barns within like Spring City and the surrounding areas, but it never turned up any clues or like her body or anything like that.
0: Gotcha. Okay, I figured you would know more on that. I couldn't find any more um, online, but yeah, so it looks like really no new information there either. But just another way here through our updates to get her name out there again. Um, if you happen to know anything about that information, will be on our blog i know you
2: have it mentioned on you know what we're looking at and you didn't really mention it like her parents being involved having you know i guess some type of involvement or knowing more um i had said it in the in when we actually did the episode but everyone local because i grew up in the area i still live in the area everyone i talked to about it who was like old enough everyone mentions that it's the mom like hands down. I haven't heard one single other suggestion from anyone that's local. Um, So that's that.
1: And what would the motive have been for her to do that?
2: Or multiple, 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 Jesus, multiple motives. Um, She was into drugs. Some people thought that she either gave her away for drug money which I'm not sure about that one, but I know that there was a custody battle with her and um, Lauren's father. And she there's belief that she had family members from Florida come and get her and take her or that she just gave them to someone else, like some random stranger, I guess.
0: Oh my God. After Lauren, we talked about Robert Barron. Um, Grace, if you want to throw us a reminder about his case. Was that uh, one mine? It's mine. That was my case.
2: Oh. I was like, wait, um, am I having a <laughs> I have the wrong initials am I on having my teacher? I, like, hmm. I was like, I'm pretty sure I did that one. <laughs> um so I I found out about this case because my coworker's boyfriend grew up in the area and I guess um Robert Barron, he owned I'm going to say it wrong, so Sarah, you're going to have to help me. How do you say the pizzeria
0: shop? Do you... I think it was Gigarelli's, but I feel like we got told that was totally wrong. It is wrong. Gigarelli's? Nope. That doesn't sound
2: right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it very well. I do not remember. I do know that... It's not an English word. I keep wanting to say Ghirardelli like the chocolate. Uh, I don't think it's that one either. I struggle so hard... (laughs) My coworker, Heather, she said it correctly. And I guess they had a chuckle about how wrong I pronounced it. I'm sorry. Let's just I'm sorry. You should
1: have recorded anyway. her saying it. And then every <laughs> time we go to say it, we just play it and just play
0: her. her voice.
2: Yeah. Darren yes. would
0: be able to do that. 100%.
2: But um, so he was leaving this pizzeria on Uh, It was on a main street in Old Forge, PA. Um, He took his son home and then he uh, came back to his apartment, which, again, was over this pizza shop and he was supposed to pick his son up in the morning for a delivery. He never showed up. His son went to the pizza place and found like a pretty, I guess, not like terribly grisly scene, but definitely saw foul play in there. And there's a lot of rumors about it being the mob, and I I don't think I ever told you. I know you mentioned to us recently that you were we were going to do all these updates, but everyone laughed or like people were like, oh, it definitely was a mob. But when I was talking to my coworker, her boyfriend says that it is definitely that it's a huge possibility that that
0: like vibe and yeah. that you know stuff happens in that area. So, yeah, and we've gotten that comment a couple times, like, you know, you guys kind of laugh off the mob, but like, it's definitely a, a real thing that can still be very prevalent. So even though it feels like, oh, that's not still going on in our world. Oh, it definitely yeah, no, is. It, yeah, we've gotten a lot of feedback about that, too. I'm glad you made that comment because I totally forgot about that otherwise yeah really no specific updates on him um there was a recent article posted about him just because of the um five-year anniversary of him going missing but no no real update or anything so then after that we did actually have a case From Grace. Yep, this one was mine. I didn't try to rhyme Case and Grace together, but it happened. Um, so Grace, feel free to take over and tell us, remind us about Lynn Barr.
1: So she was the girl, it was she was just shy of her seventh birthday, actually. She was from Wilkinsburg, which is just outside of Pittsburgh, and she went missing in 1977 she was um walking home from school so that was a tough one too i mean i hate we hate child cases but yeah yeah i mean i guess the, if you just want to talk about what you found
0: i did find a website we'll link it on the blog so you guys can check it out um there was a video which was interesting like a news segment um and They actually got to talk to one of her friends who walked home from school with her that day. And um, she was just kind of saying, like, you know, I wish I had walked an extra block. I wish I had made her come to my house with me instead of walk home. But she's like, you know, we were six. You didn't you just went home. It's what you did, you know, saying in hindsight, I wish I would have changed something. But also I was six. Yep. Like I wasn't in the wrong for just going home. Good
1: for her, Um, because
0: that could really weigh on you if
1: you are obsessed with the fact that you could have done something different. But yes, you were six.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like you had no way. Even if you were 26, you had no way of knowing that something like that would happen. Sure. Um, But the investigator on the case who has hands down (laughs) the best investigator name. (laughs) I've been
1: staring at it. I can't wait for her to say it.
0: I know you guys don't like when we laugh, um, but this is not laughing at any sort of victim or the case. Um, The investigator's name is Kevin McCool. Like that is just an awesome name. Pretty cool. Um, I want, I want the last name McCool. He definitely um, wears sunglasses everywhere he goes. He is Jake Peralta. Like that. I'm just. He is Jake yes! Peralta. <laughs> um But he did say. Uh, Quote, we're probably the closest we've been in 40 years. We have items that are beneficial to our cause. I think they will come into play very soon. Now, in April of 2021, investigators did call her parents and they said they were getting much closer and to expect some updates to be coming in the near future. However, they did not disclose any specific details. Um, So I'm not sure what the legal abilities are for families. Like if certain information just stays private until it's definitive, I guess that they couldn't disclose details to the family, but they could tell them like, we're getting closer. Um, That's
1: probably really tough for them because that was almost a year ago. And to just kind of get that hope.
0: Yeah. And then.
1: Like after all this
0: time, they're calling and saying, we're so close. And then, you know, here we are 10 months later, like, uh, I'm sure the investigators have like the best of intentions, but. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (sighs) Mm. I mean, it's not like you can't force something to move faster than it does, especially if you're waiting on analysis of something or a key detail that you need.
1: And hopefully that's all it is, because I know that analysis can take a very, very long time. So maybe we are right on the edge of something.
2: Big. I mean, didn't we in one of our episodes say that for cold cases, all the like evidence, not evidence, but all the um, testing gets pushed to the side for more recent cases. So it could take years. Yeah.
1: And there's a backup and yes. everything. So, yeah, there's. Yeah. Backlog, whatever. Um,
2: same difference yeah
0: (laughs) it's a backup in the log it's a backlog yeah
2: i know this doesn't really have to do with any of our cases that we're working on but i know on netflix there's a show about i want to say um labs that uh people in labs that got were what's the word convicted of crimes because they were like i know it's not exactly like what we're talking about tests to see you know if dna matches or whatever but they were running tests on substances and like i guess they were so backed up they started fabricating these reports and it was putting like people i saw away. that okay yes so I saw. And it did we terrifies... watch that together <laughs> i don't think we watched that one together okay <laughs> I've been, but, I, um, I remember it. Yeah. And that's terrifying to think that because, I mean, you don't know what other labs are doing that. There's a shortage of people working. They're so, they don't get right. paid that much. There's incentives. There's like small incentives to get the work done, but they have all this work and backlog and it's, it's terrifying to think that something could have Jeez. been missed or someone just was fabricating stuff to get like their pull-up or one of them was stealing the drugs that came into evidence and doing them as she's doing her work. So how credible yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah. So that, I don't
1: know.
0: Wow. That's yeah. a
1: really good point because really any job that you have where you basically have like a gun to your head, like get this stuff done. We have so much work to do. Shortcuts are going to be taken in any yep. industry. That's Mm -hmm. what happens. And I mean, we see it in like police forces and investigators too. I mean, when they are so overworked, how are they really supposed to thoroughly get through what they need to?
2: Yeah. Right. Scary and sad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Continuing with being really sad about children dying. The next case that we talked about was the babes in the woods. Um, So as just. Kind of a quick reminder, that was the case where there were three sisters that were all found. They were tucked under a blanket in a field outside of Carlisle area um, in what is now Pine Grove Furnace State Park. And their father and cousin were then found shot from a murder-suicide in central Pennsylvania. Closer toward uh, state college, I think they were in Altoona, um, if my brain is correct there, so they are pretty much assumed as dying from starvation or potentially also from um carbon monoxide that came in through the vehicle just by staying in the vehicle trying to stay warm, and then that the father and cousin committed the you know, died by the murder and suicide pact because they felt guilty about the deaths of the girls and that they lived and the girls died. Um, I'm still holding true to that theory. I think it makes a lot of sense. The timeline, the map, everything definitely lines up, but um, no new updates on that within the past year. After we talked about babes in the woods, we had the case of David Hurley. Um, This is also the PA Route 22 killer. Um, David Hurley was the man who was driving. He was on his way to a Boy Scout trip, and he was shot three times after a minor, like, fender bender type of accident. Um, And, you know, we kind of looked at, was it just an accident? Was it, like, road rage or you know is it possible that there was something else going on there and we had talked about um any sort of substances that may have been in his system and we actually got a comment on Podbean, bean um, the website that we use to post all of our episodes everywhere from sean hurley who is david's son um and his comment reads word for word. Hi there. I'm one of David's sons, Sean. Thanks for revisiting his case. Just to shed light on some things. His blood work tested positive for THC only. I know people are killed over weed, but how often does that really happen? I don't know what really led to my dad being shot, but I do know that thanks to Jesus Christ, I've forgiven the shooter and my life is completely at peace. So um, it's it's. Honestly, nice on our end just to hear, you know, that little bit of thanks for revisiting the case. Um, But also, you know, knowing that his blood did test positive for THC. um, But of course, your blood can also show traces of THC for a while. So it doesn't necessarily mean that he was high at the time, Um, but he had. THC in his system recently um and maybe he was killed over that but I don't know most of the drug fights that I hear about are not very often weed could happen um but I I kind of agree there with the son that it doesn't seem like weed was a huge player um but maybe it was um I'm also just kind of glad that he mentioned you know he's forgiven the shooter he's at peace um, because there are so many families that haven't been able to kind of find that closure for themselves to be able to do that. Um, so I was really glad to see that he was able to. I thought that was awesome.
1: Yeah, that's some serious strength that takes a lot.
0: And uh, there was another clarification here. This kind of goes back to the Beth Lynn Barr case as well. Um, Beth Lynn Barr went missing from um Wilkinsburg which is closer to the city than Wilkins Township which is where David died according to the comment that was left on Podbean so um they are two different places they are not the same I think we discussed them as the same they are both like right outside of Pittsburgh so we weren't too far off geographically but they are separate places so Sorry about that. And thank you for the clarification. I'm
1: learning so much about this state that we live
0: in. Right. It's insane. And then the next case that we had was Ryan Stephen Benjamin. And Chelsea, do you want to just give us a little bit of a recap on that one?
2: Yes. So she was in her middle 20s and she was found in Pigeon Creek Pond in East Coventry Township. it was ruled out that she was drowned. It's most likely that she was murdered before getting there and then placed in the water. She did have a cinder block tied to her to hold her down. But in reality, the water was only four feet deep. So that doesn't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like at that point, someone wasn't really actually trying to hide her body or maybe they just didn't realize how shallow the area it was where they put her. Um, And there's really not a lot of information about it. I could only find, I think like maybe three or four articles about her with not a lot of information to remind everyone she was black and usually minorities do not get as much coverage and i'm just surprised because she was in her mid-20s uh seemed like she was like super into social media yet there's like really nothing and i had to really really dig for information on it um and it wasn't even that long of a case because there just isn't information so
0: yeah now i i think when we covered it the first time chelsea you Made a comment about, like, I think she was from Rochester. Everybody else in her family I found in Rochester, I couldn't actually find her. Um, so we kind of just went with, we're going to say she's from Rochester because the rest of her family is. Yeah. Um, we got an email very shortly after this episode came out from um, a listener named Andrew. And the email said quote just wanted to confirm that she was from rochester new york i went to school with her and she was one of my best friends since fifth grade i appreciate your coverage of her case she was so loved so um again just really glad to hear from people that are listening and know the answers to the questions that we can't answer ourselves um we appreciate you (laughs) absolutely um Appreciative for the answers and also very glad to be here giving you some um
2: coverage. And it's a total reminder. Like if you're gonna leave a comment saying that we don't have the right information, how's that ever gonna solve anything? Please just tell us, reach out to us. We don't care if you leave us a bad review. I mean, yeah, it kind of sucks, but at least be upfront and tell us why because then it just seems pointless and makes you seem like a dick.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The you know, we did get one review that was very specific to the Anna Mayachevska case that, you know, we, we recapped earlier. Um, and that was really helpful to have that, like, you pronounced her name wrong. You missed some details. Like that was helpful. Cause we could go back to that episode and, and look at those specific things that we weren't sure of, or, you know, reach out to the proper people to confirm some things. Um, So we definitely appreciate the feedback. I am always okay with being wrong. I mess up constantly. Y'all should hear some of the things that Darren has to cut out of our episodes because we can't speak. So I am happy to admit that I am a human with flaws, but I would like help when I have flaws. Please don't point and laugh at me. Just help me stand back up. Okay. My analogies are done within the same episode that we talked about Ryan, Stephen, Benjamin. uh, Grace, you also talked a little bit about Penny Doe. Um, There are no updates on this case, but Grace, do you want to give us just a quick reminder?
1: Yes. So she was the Jane Doe that was found um, with pennies in her pocket. Let me check. That was in 1990 that she was found. So she was found in Clarion County. Um, in a remote area of Monroe Township. And I believe that one was, yeah, underneath a railroad trestle. So, and yeah, she was just nicknamed Penny Doe because she had pennies in her pocket and she still has not been identified. And
0: like I said, I couldn't find any updates. Um, nothing from even like 2020 on, um, So hopefully that's one that maybe is in the backlog system that has DNA that they're going to be able to run. Um, But of course, we're just going to kind of have to wait on that um, until they're able to get through everything that's there. Some of these doe cases
1: are just I mean, all doe cases are sad, uh, at least until they're until they get their names back. But this one, just looking back on it, I mean, it was so short because there's so little information
0: yeah and
1: it's just these people deserve their names back
0: yeah they deserve to be people and be treated like people sorry my cat just scared me all right so then after penny Doe, we had another week with grace and grace you talked a little bit about well we talked a lot about uh sarah ray Bame. if you want to remind us about that case um and then there's not a huge update but just a little bit that was found in the news recently
1: yeah so sarah ray Bame. Uh, This happened in 1994, and she was 14 years old when she uh, left her home in Rochester Township. And she wasn't found until her remains were found uh, actually in Ohio near Deerfield Township. Um, And she actually wasn't identified until nine years later. Well, almost nine years. But it's just, you know, mistakes. Mistakes that were made and just things that were missed so I mean that's wild that it took almost nine Nine years years.
0: nine years even feels kind of fast for 1994 to be honest yeah (laughs) with as as long as we've had some of these you know other does that we talk about the fact that she was identified after nine years
1: yeah, that's Seems just a long time faster for her. than
0: some other cases. But I agree a
1: long time for her family to not know what happened to her. Um, and there yeah. were a number of other cases that they thought maybe um, her case was connected to, but probably not. So there was a lot of back and forth um, there. But it looks like detectives are saying that they're finally On the verge of a possible breakthrough, which I hate to be like, I don't think I'm cynical about it. It's just we see that a lot and you just, yeah, you're like, show me something.
0: Yes. (laughs) Make me believe you. I don't think it's cynicism. I think it's realism. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You're close. We're always close. Show me more. Um, Yeah, I I'm right w- right there with you she had was she the one that left a note that like didn't make sense at all that was um like insinuated she was running away with some guy or it was like a love letter in her trash, so the update that we could find was um. Just a quote here from a news source that says we have a particular person scheduled to take a polygraph very soon who spent time here in Beaver County and in Portage County during that particular time. Um, So he is already serving time in prison, but detectives are not elaborating um, in any more detail. So,
1: well, she deserves justice, but
0: like at least this person is off the street already in jail yes exactly definitely want that confirmation so that the family can kind of own that um closure sure sure. yeah i guess is the right word Mm -hmm. um but yeah second that definitely glad that he at least isn't out there yep abducting or potentially you know doing worse things and killing more teenage girls The next case that we covered was the case of the boy in the box. Um, There was some really interesting information that I was finding and a lot of really hopeful information, um, but nothing concrete. So the boy in the box was a, they believe a six year old boy, but he was about the size of a two or three year old um, whose naked body was found in a bassinet box in a field in Fox chase PA, which is outside of Philly. Um, He had, it appeared that he had recently been cleaned um, like under his nails were clean. His hair had recently been cut, but it was kind of haphazardly cut. He had um, possible indication of bruising or blunt force trauma to the head. Um, But I guess the one theory that we talked about said, maybe it was from hair clippers, but I still, I don't know. I know it's, been since last may since we released this episode but i still can't imagine hair clippers giving you blunt force trauma
1: in the 50s maybe well maybe they were really
0: intense yeah i don't it's just sketchy but um they were never obviously able to fully identify the boy But um, they did end up with a couple of leads. These were all covered in the original coverage of the case, but um, they did have some information come through from a girl who claimed he was her adoptive brother or step brother. I think it was adoptive Um, and that her mom was not taking care of him. And she proved it by confirming the contents that were in his stomach that had not been um that information had not left the autopsy report wasn't it baked beans it was baked beans Mm. yeah
1: so it's like a really weird detail um, to me so i don't know it just sticks
0: Yeah, well, and you know, we're looking late 50s here. If you are potentially struggling, there was a lot of conversation that he may have been malnourished, and that's maybe why he was so small. So, potentially, some financial struggles in the family. And beans are protein and fiber and cheap. So, it was kind of a a staple food. Plus, you're in PA, you're in German country, you're getting beans. fair (laughs) sorry you get beans Um, and you get beans (laughs) (laughs) everyone gets beans um now there have been a lot of recent rapid developments specifically related to dna investigators had a goal of identifying the boy by the end of 2021 so really we may get this information at any time um there was a comment now this is all coming from a reddit thread and it links to news articles but I could only find the news articles through reddit links like if I tried to search them outside of it I couldn't find them so I don't really know how realistic it is and I know some of you guys hate when we talk about reddit but listen it's a really old case so we're going from we're we're going to the armchair detectives here. I don't think um,
1: Reddit is the worst thing. I think maybe if it's just pure speculation, but sometimes right. there are solid theories that people have that they provide sources for and yeah. stuff like that. So I you, re- it's a mixed bag. Just because you know you're sharing a Reddit theory doesn't necessarily mean it's bad if it's backed up. You just you take everything with a grain of salt and use your head so
0: yeah and and like i mentioned in a recent episode i mean a we vet the theories if we think they're way off the wall we're either going to preface with that or just ignore it you're like "Mm, aliens probably not (laughs) right and then you know also these are cold cases sometimes you need those outrageous theories to spark something sure so Um, There was a a comment here on Reddit, speaking of Beans, the uh, username was B-E-E-N-A-620, so in my brain I'm reading that as Bina 620 more Beans. And this comment said, quote, Identifiers essentially confirmed in early November that the boy in the box's identity was solved and they would go public in the future. I believe back then that they were planning on announcing it in February unquote oh, so man. i know it feels like it really could come at any day and i hope you all know as soon as that comes out it is going to be all over our socials um we will 100 percent be sharing that information there was also a comment that sometimes they will have it completely solved and typically if they're saying that they're able to go public it probably means they already have the identity and they are looking at family members or um some sort of distant genealogical match that they would be able to find to confirm as well as just to let them know about the identification that was made so that may be why it's taking longer than what they had said um Just with communicating with family and getting in touch with them yeah um, that's true after the identification so um very excited to have some information come on that um i guess there were a couple news reports for other old cold cases that had been solved and somebody made a comment that Um, One of the investigators or scientists had made a comment that soon they would be able to reveal that they broke a record for the oldest cold case that they were going to be able to solve with this technology. And I guess based on certain elements of what was being discussed, people feel that it has to be this case. Um, So... That part was definitely just comments on Reddit, but um, there were, I mean, news sources that stated that they would be coming out publicly with an identification in the near future. So i um, just kind of looking forward to that news coming out. And again, finally being able to give a name, um, one of the investigators who has been working on the case literally his entire life, um, Like he was a teenager when it started and that's what got him into law enforcement was this case Um, said he really hopes that before he himself is buried, that he's able to put a new tombstone in the cemetery and finally give the boy his name. And that's his goal. Now, he's not like super close to death, going to die in a week, Um, but he has said, you know, I'm getting older and before I die, I want to see a tombstone with a name in place of America's unknown child. So I hope he gets that. Hopefully we
1: get that soon. Yeah.
0: All right. So then the next episode that we dove into was a double episode for, um, Maria Cabuenos and Julia Barniak. And we actually just mentioned them recently, um, on another case that we recorded, I think last week or two weeks ago. So, um, there really aren't any new updates for either of them. Um, with Maria, they're just kind of sticking with the theory that we talked about of Arthur Bomar. But um, Chelsea, do you want to talk about those two? Yeah. So Since you gave us the cases the first time. Sure. Maria
2: Cabuenos, she was um, a Filipino. She was living in Philly at the time, and I believe... um, A contact that had worked with her was a person who reached out and asked me to do the story. And while researching her story, I also came across uh, Julie's as well. But Maria's skeletal remains were found in the woods of Tinicum Township, just 100 yards off of Beaver Run Road. It was kind of unclear at the time if she was murdered there or at like a secondary, if there was a secondary crime scene. There was a fingernail by her body, but there wasn't apparently enough DNA. And now her case did not get a lot of traction. She was a minority. Her family really pushed really hard. She had a lot of siblings constantly calling asking about the case but you could not find very much information whereas you have Julie Barniak who was a white young woman her case had so much so much um coverage and even Julie's mom had made that mention she had crosses made for both of them that were the same and it had um maria's nickname on it i can't remember off the top of my head what it was but julie was found um at a septa railroad slash freight yard just 50 yards from the platform she was in active decay when she was found but i don't believe maria was she was found pretty soon after she was murdered unfortunately and both of them had similar Characteristics, the blunt force trauma they both were sexually assaulted, and this case is linked to let's see how good my memory is. I believe her name is Amy Willard. she was a white yeah, yeah a white uh college girl who was raped and then murdered, and uh Arthur bomar was convicted of that crime, and they're all kind of linked because they have because there were connections with him. I can't remember all the connections I believe Mer- I can't remember all the connections. I'm not even going to try because I know I'll probably get it wrong because it's forever ago, but there was connections and him being in the same area and basically it was all the same, I guess, pattern.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, really all I could find as far as updates is just that there's increased speculation that he was involved. Um, But yeah, Amy Willard is the, the woman that he was convicted for. Okay, I got one right. Um, So then after that double case, we moved into a very well-known case, the case of the district attorney, Ray Grecar. Now, there was not a whole lot of new information that we could find. As a quick recap, um, Ray was the Center County DA, so earlier when I mentioned that. I did have that detail right and they found his car near the street of shops which after this episode came out i found out that my mother-in-law loves going to the street of shops and we all went up before christmas and we were shopping there and every time i saw the sign for street of shops all i could think was this is where ray's car was found so true crime has truly just broken my brain um, but his car was left in the gravel parking lot across the street and his computer was found it was found in the water from what i remember Um, but i know it was destroyed Um, they definitely think the computer is a big part of it because he had searched recently i guess on his other computer um, how to destroy a hard drive what to do to get rid of a hard drive Um, there's a lot of conspiracy about politics um, which I mean I can see it Um, definitely a really interesting case lots and lots of twists and turns Um, but in looking for some new information I found there. There's actually a podcast that is dedicated to this case. So, right now, when I looked at this a couple days ago, there were four episodes. Um, but the most recent one was called part one of something. So, I have a feeling there are more episodes coming. Um, And I put the website link in my notes and forgot to put the actual name of the podcast. So um, the podcast is called Final Argument, The Disappearance of Ray Gricard, District Attorney. Um, And I was wrong. The most recent episode is the fifth episode. Um, It looks like they are released. A about every couple of months and episode five was released in December. So hopefully that means we may have part two of that out soon, but that's called final argument. Um, if you want to look that up and support that podcast, um, there was some interesting information online. And if you decide to be a member, you can pay a one-time member fee and get some access to exclusive content it feels really weird like plugging a different podcast on ours but um a lot of good information on the site um the bits and pieces of the pod that i listened to um seem to really line up with the research that we had done and reported on previously so um definitely recommend that if you want to dive a little bit deeper um but no new news unfortunately So after we talked about Ray, Grace, you spoke to us about Stephen White Knight Jr. Um, If you want to kind of recap that, Um, this is another one that there really are no updates, but we can just do kind of a quick review of the episode.
1: Yeah, this is one that kind of like really hit home for me just because I'm from the area, but Stephen was um, a man that went missing from the Bloomsburg area in 2016. And they found his car still running at the Bloomsburg airport, which is just a tiny little airport on the corner next to the Susquehanna river, um, and the bridge that goes over that. So, it's thought that he walked out into the onto the middle of the bridge and jumped into the water. Uh, it was snowy. That it was, um, it would be very early morning that that happened, and it was very snowy then. Uh, and there were footprints going out onto the bridge from his car, but his body, if that's what happened, was never found. So, yeah. Um, And I had actually been briefly in contact with his dad who unfortunately just recently passed away. So it's just really, it just sucks that he had to die before knowing what happened to his son. Before having
0: the answers. Yes.
1: Yeah. So no, unfortunately no updates on that case, but I drive over that bridge all the time and I just get such like a sinking feeling every time I cross over it now.
0: Yeah. I know the big theory, a couple of my friends and actually one of my coworkers, I was in the office the day that this was released and, um, she called me over and a lot of the people that have reached out to talk about this one have all kind of agreed. She's like. You know this is just a suicide, and I was like, "Well, there's not a body, so I don't know what I think it is."
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean that's the theory I lean towards too, but yeah, it's you know the family deserves closure, and it's something that still needs to be solved. And yeah, uh, it's just where where is his body? I mean, they searched, they were all over the place and they couldn't go in the water right away because of the condition, the weather conditions. But, you know, it should have shown up by now.
0: It just should have, it should be somewhere. So, yeah, I, I fully agree. And connected to that case within the same episode, we also talked about Perry County, Jane Doe who was a woman that was found on the banks of a river near, um, 322, another Perry County case. Um, and this is the case that, um, she's known as the Perry County Jane Doe, but she's also known as the girl with the turquoise jewelry. Um, she had a lot of, well, turquoise jewelry. Um, but, This is also one of the first ones that we looked at where they talked a lot about, um, you know, based on certain, I think it's alkaline levels that they look at, um, or isotope levels. Alkaline is dirt. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Looking at certain isotopes, you can cut the part where I say I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, They did isotope testing to kind of try to hone in on maybe where she was from and um a couple of theories came out of that but nothing definitive and no update on Perry County Jane Doe.
1: Do they still do that isotope testing? Because they they did that with Beth Doe, who Evelyn uh cologne and cologne. It was sort of accurate, not super accurate, but like not really. So I maybe they've Maybe it's better now. Yeah, I don't
0: know. I haven't seen it in any of the cases that I've been looking at lately, but maybe I'm just looking at cases that haven't. And what year was this from? Uh, She was 1979.
1: Hmm. Yeah, because Beth Doe was in the 70s, too.
0: so. So maybe it was just something that they they tried to do in the 70s. And then as they were solving cases that the isotope testing had been used for, they weren't seeing things aligned so maybe they stopped doing it.
1: Yeah, I think I remember in the in uh Evelyn's case that they did it initially and then later they did it again and got a little more specific, but the more specific they got that like that's
0: the more different. they were off. Yeah,
1: because originally when they were a little more vague it could have worked. But then when they got more specific it, it was off, so
0: I'm just wondering if they still yeah. do that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything lately. Um, the episode after that, coming up into the end of June now, was the case of Wendy Eaton. Um, she was... Um, I believe she was 15. Um, but one day, her family went to the country club to play golf. And when they came home, she was missing. And they have not seen her since. Um she was seen walking down the road. It was said that she was walking to town to buy a gift for her brother that she was excited to buy. Um, But this is also the case where we were able to speak to a family member. Um, And in the conversation that I had with this family member, I was told, you know, Wendy didn't just walk along that road. Um. You know, the walk from there to town was something that she never did, let alone something she would have done by herself. Um, They, you know, did kind of confirm that the reports saying that Wendy was very naive and very trusting were definitely correct. And they could absolutely see if she just trusted somebody walking with her, driving her, coming along with a bike, something like that, um, who was not really trustworthy and that that may be what um, led to her disappearance. And um, as far as updates go within 2021, there has been a vague mentioning of a new lead specifically related to the wooded area where she disappeared. Um, So we talked about there was this kind of section of woods very close to her house that she would have had to walk by. And it seems that this new lead is coming into play from that wooded area. Um, Couldn't find any specific details, but also did see that the case was upgraded to a homicide in 2021 instead of a missing person. So legally it is now being investigated as a homicide. Um, I did reach out to the family member I had spoken to before, um, but have not heard back from the family member yet. If we do hear back or as we continue to see updates coming through, because this is one where they are expecting updates, we will, of course, continue to keep you guys updated on this one as well. After the case of Wendy Eaton, we talked about Anna Marie Callahan. This was a pretty short case. Um... Anna was a teenager who was known to skip school. She had dropped out of school. She was a known drug user, um, did not have a great reputation, but despite all of that, she was still a human being. Um, She didn't deserve anything that she got. And um, she was found kind of rolled down an embankment with her hands tied together and someone had put flowers between her hands so she was kind of like holding a bouquet of flowers um which just is sick like it's one of those things that you didn't have to add like really
1: yeah that weirds Um, me out
0: (laughs) but definitely a lot of theories about you know any sort of Drug relation, prostitution relation, um, she was known to have sex for money. So there's been, you know, discussion online that maybe she lied about her age and, um, an adult hired her for sex and then found out that she was legally a child and was angry about it, but, um, no specific ties or sources for um, any of those theories, just kind of some talk. Um, unfortunately, still no updates, but she was murdered in 1995. From there, then, we moved into episode 21, which was a combination of two shorter episodes. We talked about baby in Doe and Hector Ortiz Fuentes. Um, the case of baby Allison Doe was the case of, and this is very graphic. This one was horrible. Um, the case of the barrel that was burning um, and inside of the barrel was baby Allison. That was in the Lancaster um, area,
1: right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Lancaster area. Um, and like, she was very much newborn baby. Um, and I mean she was viciously killed. This was not like accidental strangulation and parent felt bad. Um this was bloody and horrible and like I just no. I there are no updates and I don't want to talk about it anymore. So, I don't blame you. <laughs> moving on from that one. Huh. Um Hector Ortiz Fuentes. Um, this is another Lancaster area case. He was shot in the neck and fell to the ground and died. And essentially that's all we know. We still don't know any more than that. Um, the only things that I could find online are all things that Amanda talked about when she presented this story in July. Um, Just there is some cam footage, some security camera footage that was captured around the time that Hector was shot. And they believe that it is someone who may have information, not necessarily that they are a suspect, um, but definitely just a person of interest that police want to talk to. But um, this person has not been identified. So um, I'll put a link. To the video that I found that shows the security cam footage um, and you guys can watch it and if you live in the Lancaster area or were in or around the Lancaster area in 2009 when Hector was shot um, take a look at that and see if it might be someone that you recognize and would be able to give any information to the police. So after that, then I'm going to let Grace talk a little bit. Um, we moved up to episode 22, which was Marguerite Kiota, And you can correct my pronunciation if that was wrong.
1: That's how I'm saying it.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But um, I'm sure you guys have sensed a pattern here of no updates. Uh, I don't think any of the rest of them have updates, but we do. They do not. We do just want to give, you know, little summaries of them so we can kind of keep them fresh in your minds. So Marguerite Kyoto was murdered in the Phoenixville area in 1954. Uh, She was only 22 years old and she was actually walking back from a dance. She had been to two dances that night. Um, One was at, I believe, the Valley Forge Medical. uh, No, Valley Forge Army Hospital. That's what it was. And the Polish American Citizens Club. Uh, And she she was walking home and there were people around that heard screams from the alleyway and were just like, you know what? Not my, that's none of my business. And then the next yeah. day they found some of her belongings in that alley. Jeez. Um, and then unfortunately they found her, um, actually in a cesspool. Um, Ooh, I did not remember that. detail. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember, yes, it was next to an old schoolhouse, so it was all like an abandoned area, but it's just s- there's no dignified way to be murdered, but to end up in a cesspool. Yeah. and she was she was like frozen because it was very cold. It was Ugh. in uh, March sixth, very, very cold. yeah. Uh so yeah I don't like it
0: um but obviously we don't like it
1: Yeah I'm um, there's been you know I'm local to that area so there's been tons of rumors that have been circulating for decades and you know people have said it was prominent members of society things like that but nothing has ever yeah. been proven it's just Never been solved, and unfortunately, there's no updates.
0: After we talked about Margaret, um, we went to another double case episode um, where we talked about Dawn Mazzino and Dick Pete. So, Dawn was a Special Olympics athlete, she was very into her competition. She was always at practices and when she did not show up, it threw up some red flags. And after all of this time she went missing in 1989, there is still no sign of her. I know we talked about some different theories and I believe, and Grace, you can confirm this, hopefully, um, that Dawn is the case that we covered of the woman that worked in the grocery store and often got rides to and from work with different coworkers and friends that she did not drive. Um, maybe that's a different case that I'm thinking of, though.
1: She worked at Bryn Mawr Hospital, but she you're okay. right. She didn't drive. You're okay. You're right about getting
0: rides and everything. Okay. So... Um, Just a lot of really unknown, um, but again, no updates. Um, I think some of these cases, it's, and I think we've talked about this a couple times, it's going to end up being never having answers or deathbed confessions. And that's not to be pessimistic. It's just, again, unless we find her and can then link her to DNA um it's the finding her part that with each moment dwindles a little bit further sure the second half of that episode then was about dick pete um he was a man who got into a bar fight um and they just got into a fight someone stabbed him in the heart and he died so there were only a couple of witnesses and the people that were there would not talk and will not talk. Um, definitely some kind of, I I don't want to say mob again, but kind of that mob mentality of you didn't see anything. You're not going to say anything. This is our little secret sort of thing. Um, definitely how that feels, but That's another one that I think is just going to be one of those people that witnessed it is going to confess it before they die. Um, But, you know, it's been so long. There may not be too many people around that were there, figuring you were at least in your 20s, and they're getting older. Um, I mean, there's definitely still people around who were 20 in the 60s. I'm not at all saying that. To my grandmother who listens to these episodes. Sorry, I'm Grandma. I'm not saying.
1: <laughs> um, my grandma probably realized I cursed too much and stopped listening, but I still love you. My
0: grandma thinks you curse too much, too, but it's okay. <laughs> I've been really good lately. <laughs> it was, it just fit. Sorry, Sarah's grandma. But yeah, so no real updates there on uh, Richard Pete, unfortunately, but... Hopefully, we get some some news on a deathbed. Um, then, we ran into our two-part Brian Wells case. And, oh my, um, we got some very interesting comments. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about those. <laughs> on, on these cases. Um, and... The big takeaway from some of the comments that we got were just, you know, don't trust the um, sex worker. Like, don't believe what she's saying. She's lying. She the the thought that came to us was that she's included in trying to cover her own self. And he certainly did not call her a sex worker. (laughs) No, he did not. Um, Or really anything nice or positive or happy. So, you know, just obviously taking that with a grain of salt um and when we talked about that we talked to about you know do we believe her story or not um she gave the story when the when the netflix documentary was coming out so it was kind of like oh was she just doing it for attention or was it true and um you know all of that information but regardless the other key players um I just realized I did not recap what case this was. I just jumped right in. So I apologize. Um,
1: well, they should just go watch this, Evil Genius on Netflix. We're not yes. being sponsored or anything, but like, I don't normally rewatch it's true crime so stuff, well but done. Ben and I have watched it multiple
0: times. It's Ben has actually watched it with you multiple times. Yes.
1: Yes. And oh. he has initiated well, the rewatching. Something. So, you know, it's yeah. something. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's definitely saying something. But this is the pizza bomber case that took place in Erie. Um, The one version of the story is that he was kidnapped. He was a pizza delivery driver. Somebody called and ordered pizzas. He took them, delivered them, was kidnapped, and they strapped a bomb around his neck. Um, It hooked on like a handcuff. Obviously, it was not the size of a handcuff. I recently gave somebody the recap of this case and they were like, wait, how'd they put a handcuff around the neck? Um, they didn't. It was just like a giant handcuff, um, but it was that same style of the way it clicks in and locks. And then it was basically like a shoebox on his chest. Um, and he was told to go rob a bank, get a certain amount of money. And there's a lot of suspicious ties to that specific amount of money. And when he went into the bank, they obviously saw that there was a bomb or a shoebox under his shirt so he ended up arrested sitting in front of a cop car and up until this point we have a bunch of solved details but of course the unsolved part comes next when the bomb does explode after Brian Wells continuously says it's going to go off and continuously claims that he was not involved in the plot for the robbery and he would get nothing out of it. Um, There were a lot of other players. It gets kind of messy and confusing and typical like small town Pennsylvania people that have known each other forever sort of conversations and discussions um, that kind of went on. So all of the other players still claim that um, the bomb was not supposed to go off or that he detonated it himself and that it was his plan to wear the bomb. Um, not anybody else's and that he was very much in on it however um, there's no proof one way or the other and there's a lot of sketchy details
1: can we not forget that he had a cane that was also a gun oh yes yes he had the cane
0: shotgun
1: like nothing about I completely this case is forgot cool. that. i don't want to romanticize it at all it was terrible but like he he had a cane that was a gun
0: where do i right. get one uh, probably the evidence locker in Erie. Hmm. Not sure if you want to try to break into that though. Feels like maybe not the best idea. Yeah, probably not. Not great. Nope. <laughs> not a good. No, look. thank you. <laughs> okay, so then after our two part on Brian Wells, um, we talked about Sherry Magaro. Um, mm-hmm. she was driving through a blizzard, and after the blizzard rolled through, um they found her vehicle abandoned in a field and initially they assumed that someone had just slid off the road but whenever they were able to take a look in the vehicle it was a horrible gruesome scene just blood everywhere and um, she is the one that was going back and forth between Harrisburg and Maybe it wasn't Harrisburg, but between Pennsylvania and Maryland. So she um, had the, her son was in Pennsylvania. Her boyfriend was in Maryland and weekends that she did not have her son. She was going down to Maryland. This was just her returning home. um, And unfortunately she never made it home and still has not because she is still missing Um, There were no new updates and kind of the the really sad thing with not seeing any updates also means that there's not even any reminders on anniversaries, you know, like so many years since. Certain event happened, Um, so that's that's definitely sad as well. Um,
1: And the longer people are either missing or the longer cases go unsolved. The less family members there are to be pushing the case forward, which is a super important part of kind of keeping the case alive. So if you get too far removed from the case, you may have family, close family members that have passed away or, you know, just can't advocate anymore.
0: A week later, we brought you another double episode. We took a look at the case of Anthony Capasso, who is a missing father, and also talked about Patricia Neal Randolph, um, who went by the nickname Baby Doll. Anthony is considered missing. He has been missing since two thousand eighteen. Um, this is a case that Chelsea brought to us after speaking to um, Anthony's ex and the mother of his child. I. Th- think it's a daughter but now I'm afraid that that's wrong but it was the mother of his child that reached out to us um unfortunately still no updates um just he was last seen in in 2018 and has basically just vanished since then um which really seems to go against a lot of what he was working toward um so definitely some some uncertain details there the second half of the episode that week was for Patricia Neal Randolph, who was also known as Baby Doll. Um, she was involved in um, sex work. She was found on the berm of a road, um, and the autopsy determined that she um, was killed by strangulation. So really, those are all the details we know. Um, Still no updates, nothing new, and it looks like no leads or anything. So if you do know anything about that case or feel like you might know something that could help, make sure you reach out to law enforcement. Um, And Grace, you are up again if you want to talk about episode 28
1: yeah, so this episode was about the Eisler children, which was um it involved a house fire in 1986 in um on January 22nd. It there were uh four children and their parents had actually just gone like to the neighbor's house. I guess they were having a drink or just hanging out after they put their kids to bed. Um but not long after The parents left the house. The house went up in flames and the neighbor is actually the one that noticed like, hey, your house is on fire. And the saddest part, I think, is that the one brother survived the oldest brother and he was trying to save his younger siblings. But unfortunately, he was not successful and three of them died in the fire. It was found to be arson, but it's still gone unsolved to this day. No updates or anything and it's, you know, from 1986. I just I'm I don't know what they're going to do. There's not like it's not like DNA that they can find. It would be more like right. circumstantial stuff. I'm thinking that they would have to find and I don't
0: know. I think this is another one that it might just be someone's guilt drives them to a confession before they die um there's there's a lot of support for the idea that it was the surviving sibling um and in googling that's really all that i saw was just more people saying that they think the surviving sibling is the one that said it um kind of like to try to look like a hero like set it and then put it out but um you know i think people underestimate fire Um, And I know this is something, you know, we had some firemen on the episode. um, And, you know, obviously, my husband's a fireman. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I think people underestimate fire. And it's very different when you have an accelerant and fire in a house than when you have logs in a controlled burn pit to roast marshmallows over. Sure. Um, And if it was a case of, you know, kind of trying to look like a hero, like lighting it and trying to put it out um, again, he was a kid, you know, if that is the case, it's it's still not a good situation. Not at all saying that, but um, it's one of those kinds of things where kids don't necessarily understand the impact of something like that. You know, I watch on TV or read in books or see down the street, Um, probably not so much watched on TV as much, but you know, a fire starts and they put some water on it and it's good. Well, there's a little bit more to it than Just that. Yeah. Um, Imagine
1: if adults can underestimate fire so much. Imagine how quickly that situation could get out of hand for a child. I mean, almost immediately, really, like probably had him if it was him and that was the case, I'm sure immediately he was like, oh, shit, I don't know how to handle this.
0: I'm like terrified to have candles burning if the windows are open because I'm afraid that a breeze is going to come through and somehow make the flame of the candle become a foot long and catch things on fire. Like, let alone, I can't imagine me ever trying to light anything.
1: Tell me you're married to a firefighter without telling me
0: you're married to a firefighter. (laughs) Okay, he is the one that wants... Candles. I like wax melts. Yes. <laughs> which is weird. Most firemen do not like open flame, apparently. I don't personally know most firemen, so I can't actually speak for them. You don't? This is what I'm told.
1: <laughs> they don't all know each other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> um but yeah, uh definitely some interesting thoughts there with knowing that it was an arson and Just some theories that are out there for it. And we only have two more for you in the recap, and then we're at our halfway point of um the cases that we've covered so far. So um the next case we're gonna talk about, episode 29, was the case of Betsy Ardsma. This is kind of what started off our spooky season. Um, because where Betsy was killed, it is said that the library she was in is haunted so we talked a little bit about this the spooky spooks um starting in that episode but the case of Betsy Ardsma was the Penn State student um she's the one that was dating a Penn State Hershey student who was pre-med um and she was attending Penn State main campus in State College in Center County Um, and she over Thanksgiving break had gone to visit her boyfriend at Penn State Hershey and then had taken I believe it was she took the train back for a bus back from Harrisburg to State College and then um, she was murdered in the library while doing Research and she was just approached and was silently killed with one stab wound to the chest and her lungs filled with blood. And unfortunately, she bled internally to death, which choked her lungs. So Um, she drowned in her own blood. She literally drowned in her own blood. We did talk about some different theories. Um, but there has not been any sort of update Um, you know this case was from 1969 so we're looking again at an older case there Um, if they did have any DNA it's going to be you know last in line to get tested unfortunately so um, still no updates there still plenty of theories and there are always more and more ghost reports rolling in from the library. The final case then that we're going to talk about today in our recap is that of Jonathan Luna. Um, this one was connected to Ray Gricar. Um, we briefly discussed Jonathan's case in the Ray Gricar episode, but then we Um, Obviously went more in-depth in his own episode. He was an assistant U.S. attorney. um, And he was murdered in Lancaster County in 2003. He was stabbed repeatedly and then drowned in very shallow water. He was stabbed with a penknife, right? Yes. And it was kind of like a... um, What's the the case of the teacher in Pittsburgh that was ruled a suicide, but she was stabbed repeatedly in the back of the neck? Green Greenberg, Ellen Greenberg, Yes. is that her name? Yes, yes. Um, and I think we we drew a similar comparison when we recorded the episode um, that you know he had a bunch of these stab wounds, and then um, it was just very fishy. A lot of um, interesting details. Um, and very much like the Ray Greek car case, like it really just, it doesn't add up. It looks like there's background information that nobody knows. Um, and unfortunately again, looking up that case, no new updates since we released it in September. Um, but of course just one tip can really get any of these cases from cold to active and um you know anything that any listener knows about any of these cases all of the information for um, law enforcement is on the blog for every episode so you can absolutely check that out check out pictures um if you have not already Um, You can find us also on Facebook. Yeah, so um, our Facebook page and Facebook group are both um, Keystone Cold Cases, a Pennsylvania Unsolved Crimes podcast. So um, you can definitely check us out there. Every once in a while, we post on TikTok. Admittedly, none of us are very good at TikTok. We're too old. (laughs) Um, But we try. We try. So... um, There are some TikTok videos um, and we are in the process of trying to get just some simple merch out, um, not to make any profit for ourselves, but just to ensure that we're able to keep paying the other people that really get the podcast, Mm -hmm. get the podcast out and keep it rolling. Um, So that'll help defray some costs that'll allow us to dig in a little bit further
1: But yeah, and like, please continue to message us about cases. We love that. And it, you know, sometimes it takes us a while to get back to people. So we're sorry that we all have full time jobs. We try our best, but we really do love to hear from you. And we get really excited, um, especially people that are, you know, connected directly to cold cases and are sharing information with us or asking to have uh, their case featured on the podcast. We yeah. love it.
0: And, and as you are requesting cases, if you personally knew the victim or know anyone involved and are able to just tell us about the people as well. Um, I know we mentioned this earlier, uh, you know, like two hours ago uh, when we were talking about Anna's case from episode three. We really like to know about the people. Um, We want to get their cases solved, but we also want to keep their memories alive. And we know that all of these people are so much more than just their case. They're not a case number. They're not a file. They are all humans. So if you do know any of these people or you are related at all to any sort of these cases, um, you know, sharing that information with us is very much appreciated. Um, if you have not already either, if you've been here with us for the year, um, rating and reviewing the podcast would also be awesome. Um, and we always accept, you know, that feedback, um, like we mentioned before, specific feedback is a lot more helpful than general feedback. Um, but if there's ever, you know, an episode that you feel we missed something or you want us to adjust, by all means, please reach out to us and just let us know. Um, and again, bear with us if we don't respond immediately. Um, we're all in jobs that we don't necessarily have our phones in our hand all the time. So, um, you know, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We really do appreciate everything that you guys have done over the past year and just all the support that you've given us. So keep sharing it. Keep giving suggestions. Keep talking to us.
1: And let's get these cases solved.
0: Yes. I feel like this is where we say sleuth out or something. I don't know. Sleuth out. Sleuth out. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.